Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another version of Bill Roten on Sports uh, here in an undisclosed location uh, in Harlem, USA. Uh, as much as I'll tell you, you know, here with uh, uh, an exceptional, uh, really an exceptional human being, a tremendous professional. Uh, we've actually done a couple panels together and they haven't fired either one of us yet. So that's a good, uh, that, that's a good sign. Anyway, we're here with uh, uh, Maria Taylor, the wonderful Maria Taylor. She's a, uh, an analyst of the ESPN. You've seen her uh, doing a remarkable job before the pandemic and after the pandemic under really trying situations of the NBA roundup. Uh, Really um, just a a tremendously talented person. You've seen her doing college football. Uh, She's covering basketball. She's covered volleyball. Of course, she played volleyball in college, uh, University of Georgia. Just really, I I can't uh, say enough just about how talented she is. Um, and, uh, well, we'll, we'll get into more later, but she really goes beyond just balls and strikes and, and baskets. Um, uh, she speaks her mind. Um, she's insightful. Anyway, uh, th- th- there's more, I, more I can say, but let me just yeah, bring, there's a, there's a lot, uh, there's a lot to her. There's a lot to her. There's a lot to her. A woman, a woman of substance, Maria Taylor. Hey Maria, thank you so much for, for uh, coming on Bill Roden on Sports. Thanks for having me. So excited to be a part of this interview. And I've looked up to you for a long time. So it's good to finally be on your show, not on a panel together. <laughs> I, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Pa- well, well, we'll talk about panels later. Uh, <laughs> of course, uh, you got Jamal Murphy, my co-host for a few years, holding it down, Brooklyn, uh, New York. Jamal, what's going on? What's up, Bill? All good here in Brooklyn. A um, little rainy, but, you know, can't complain. I'm chilling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. So, so uh, Maria, just um, there's so much I want to talk to you about, but what's it been like as a professional during the uh, – what's the experience been like for you? It's been kind of a, a roller coaster, honestly. It came to a screeching halt. It was almost like we were at the top of – we had just gotten through NBA All-Star. I was headed home for a couple of days, and then I was going to go to Bristol and host the women's basketball tournament up through the final four we had plans to bring NBA countdown to New Orleans with us so that we could have like NBA meets women's basketball and all of that stopped I mean we all found out together that there weren't going to be any more games for a while I don't think we knew for how long and then you start to to roll a little bit so you're like okay how what does our new reality look like I started doing some IG lives with football players that were preparing for the draft. We started preparing for the draft. Then I traveled for the first time, went out to Bristol. And obviously you guys all watched the commissioner from his basement as he's announcing draft picks and, you know, trying to find ways to make that happen with half of our analysts. We had Pollock and Herbie and Desmond Howard. They were all at home. And to flash forward now, the NBA restart where we're back in studios for the first time. Like I'm able to see cameramen again and we've got audio guys. And honestly, like every time we come in the studio, we cheer, like we cheer for each other because we're just happy to be back sitting in a studio. So it's been a, a roller coaster, a wave of emotions. I think that obviously with so many 
much bigger issues going on that have absolutely nothing to do with sports. It makes you realize what's most important too. So I know that when I was at home in Georgia, spending more time with my family, spending more time being quiet, thinking about like, what are the projects I really want to work on moving forward? Because not all of it's guaranteed sports can stop on a dime and you want to make sure that you're doing, you know, something that really speaks to you and speaks to your calling. So I think it's, it's been so many different things, but it is good to have a, a normalcy and just waking up and going to a studio every day. Mm. You bring up, you bring up a great point. Uh, I think a lot of people in our business were stunned by how quickly sports was just taken away just like that. I think mm -hmm. that, you know, we're so immersed in this. We think that sports is, is an essential worker, you know, uh, how did you, I guess, were you stunned by, by just the suddenness of, of how sports was just eliminated? Mm. Absolutely. I think we were living through a time that um, it's completely unprecedented. We've, no one ever saw it coming. No one knows when it's going to end and no one knows what it's going to look like even five days from now. Like every day is a shocker and a surprise. But yeah, you're right. Like so much of my life has revolved around sports that you start to realize, okay, the only jobs that are guaranteed are like doctors, you know, and maybe a police officer, like there no, no other job is guaranteed. Only essential workers actually matter. Um, the news matters. You know what I mean? Like it didn't matter that we didn't have a baseball game. It's like, we need to figure out where you can go get tested for the coronavirus and you need to watch the news. So it's so interesting to just put everything into perspective and to think about, okay, yes, you know, these athletes make millions of dollars, but these teachers are about to go back to school and risk their lives trying to teach our kids, you know, and how important is that? So it definitely, it flips everything on its head and it's a shocker and it's surprising. And you feel for the senior Sabrina Ionescu who wasn't able to play, you know, and make it to the final four in her final season, you know, or the kids like Justin Fields that are trying to get a petition signed to play this year because he has an opportunity to win a Heisman. He has an opportunity to win a national championship, but obviously there's just so many, so much bigger issues that are floating above us right now that we, we can't really, we can't solve it with sports. So let's, let's get into that a little bit. Uh, you mentioned, you know, you were an athlete in college. Um, we're seeing now what's going on with college football or college sports in general. The Big Ten, Pac-10 uh, mm -hmm. have canceled their seasons, but the SEC, Big 12, ACC plowing along. <laughs> As a former athlete, how do you feel about, uh, you know, athletes, you know, wanting to play, being asked to, to continue to play? I'm talking about college athletes. Yeah you know, trying to find their own voice. What, what's your feeling on the, on the whole college football sports landscape right now? I think that it's being, um, there's a spotlight being cast on it. It's a great thing. I think the student athletes are realizing that their voices are so much bigger than the sport because they are the sport. And that's something that, you know, being on the sidelines since I've probably been doing sidelines since like 2011. So almost 10 years. It's great to finally see that. And I've had so many conversations with players where they have felt like their voices have been silenced or they can't say certain things or although something makes them uncomfortable, they might talk to someone on the staff and be like, yeah, we'll just deal with it. And, and to be honest, it was the same way when I was in school. It was just like the way that you function as an athlete is that is your boss. This is your job. You do what they say or you can go somewhere else. There's no in between. And so for once, it seems as though the power is being given to the people, like the ones that are at work every day and, you know, trying to balance school and now trying to balance their health and not getting this deadly virus and also playing and 
you know, sending money back to their parents, like all of these things that they're dealing with. While also, I just talked to a student athlete maybe two days ago, literally in between our halftime, and he called and he's like, I got back to campus and we still have buildings on our campus that are named after segregationists or they're named after people who were slave owners. And what am I supposed to do? Because I don't want to throw my name out there and be, he's like, I, I respect Kylan Hill for what he did. You know, he got the flag taken down in Mississippi, but I don't want to insert my name in the middle of that. So how do I, as an athlete with a voice, you know, move forward or make sure that that, that ball is still rolling or we're not losing momentum. And I think that it's important that we all recognize that these are the things that these student athletes are dealing with. So it's not just about whether or not, you know, they catch five passes for a hundred yards, which is in itself pressure packed. They're trying to figure out how do I use my influence when I know that this is not right on my campus? Um, Am I really being treated safely? Is this the time where we are going to get the rights that we've been owed for a very long time, you know? And so it's been interesting to hear all of that. So, you know, I've always been, I love college football, but I also understand that I make money off of, I make money off the backs of student athletes that are in their prime. And in some ways, this is the, the most valuable their bodies will ever be. And they don't make any money or, you know what I mean? There's nothing that they're given off of that. There's no trade value, trade in value for them. And so that disheartens me. That makes me sad. And I just hope that it changes. I hope the landscape changes. And I love that these coaches are being like put on front street. Like you need to say and do the right things. You need to adjust your thought process. You need to listen to them. You need to understand where they're coming from. You need to address your coaching staff. You need to see if you have diversity in your building. Like all of those things are important. And I'm glad it's coming to light now. But that's interesting that you, you, you mentioned the athletes being in their prime, even in college. You never hear anybody talk about it like that. But that yeah. is true. I mean, that's part of the athletic prime is while they're in college. And so for, you know, anywhere from one to four years, they're actually not getting compensated for their prime yeah. years. Right. And I've never really thought well, about if, it like that. If you think about the NBA, like we're looking at Jason Tatum is 22 right now. And like, He's in his prime and he's getting paid prime money and he's going to, his next deal is going to be a blockbuster. You know, these kids, sometimes they graduate and they're 22 if they spend five years at school. You know what I mean? Like they are not getting the money. Most of them are leaving at around 21. So we've are, we've missed prime years. You know what I mean? In some aspects of it. And I understand their bodies have to mature a little more. It is football. So it's a little different, but if you put them in the, if everyone went to the pros at the age of 19 and they kind of like progressed together, then it would look just like the NBA. And we would have these super young superstars, you know, and that's right. what it is. And they get paid in their prime, but they don't have that opportunity. Uh, you know, you talk about giving athletes a voice. So you see the, the Pac-10, uh, the Pac-12, Big Ten, no football. Now you've got uh, athletes in, in the Big Ten, um, you know, petitioning. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how do you feel about that? I mean, I'm asking you to not only look at it as like when you were a 20 year old, but now yeah. that you're a seasoned professional, you know, like having children, you know, I mean, you know, Jamal, you say your kids will, 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 will eat ice cream every single day if you, mm-hmm. if you let them. So no question. Maria, what do you, what do you think about the, the decision that the PAC uh, 12 and the big 10 made and the SEC, ACC uh, want to soldier <laughs> on, the big 12 want to soldier on. What do you come down on this? I think that the the Big Ten and Pac-12 decided we cannot guarantee the health and safety of our student athletes, right? Like we can't guarantee it and therefore we shall not move forward. And so it is my hope that the SEC and ACC have come up with a way to guarantee that. Like that's the only way you can move forward, right? Is if you truly believe that the health and safety of your student athletes is going to be put first at all costs. And so they're continuing to move forward towards the season. 
Um, I understand if I was 20, if I was, you know, going into my senior year and it's supposed to be the best year and there's so many things on the line, I too would have a petition written up. Like I want to play. Athletes want to play. You want to do whatever you're best at. If you're a writer, you want to write. You know what I mean? I'm a broadcaster. I want to broadcast and I'm going to do everything in my willpower. I was fighting to get back in the studio before it was safe to get back in the studio because I was sick and tired of doing everything on Wi-Fi and having a delay. And I was like, this, I can't be my best self in, without the studio. Right. And these athletes feel the same way. It's like, I have been trained to do this. I cannot be my best self without this field or this court or whatever. Um, and so I understand what a 20 year old feels like, period, dot nothing. But I do think like you're taking your health and safety into your own hands. If you, if you go out there and play, I think it's been proven that the NBA has the only sustainable way of marching on with the season. It is a bubble. It's the only way. And we've seen the opposite effect of that, which is Major League Baseball. Um, I mean, even golf, like we've had golfers that come down with the coronavirus and that's not, you don't touch each other every right. single possession or every single play. So we are going to see players come down with it. We've already seen players come down with it. I just, I don't know what, you know, what is the, the point of diminishing returns? When right. do we decide what that is? And I think, again, if one life is lost, we will all look back and think, how silly the entire conversation was, the debate was, period. Right. No, it's, uh, I mean, the end, like, like you mentioned it, the bubble seems to be the only real way to go. I mean, we've already, we already see evidence, evidence of yeah. it. Uh, the NBA, the past three weeks, no cases. Uh, the mm-hmm. WNBA is in a bubble. They're doing well. NHL mm-hmm. is in a bubble. But, you know, like you mentioned, you still have the NFL. You still have college football. You still have Major League Baseball it's a different situation, more players, more people involved in the travel and that type of thing. But you got to think there had to be a way to, to create multiple bubbles or, mm-hmm. or, you know, make it a little safer. I mean, you're doing, you're doing NBA countdown now. I mean, you've mm-hmm. got to appreciate the lengths that the NBA has gone uh, to keep people safe. I mean, you know, from covering it, what, what's your take on you know, the job that the NBA is doing in Adam Silver? Man, it's incredible. Like, and I can't say enough, like the miracle that they are working. And honestly, the way that they are in a lot of ways leading our country, you know what I mean? Like the NBA has taken social justice initiatives into their own hands, WNBA too. I will not leave the women out, but they've shown us like every single time you see a player that if they're not on the court, they basically have a mask on. If you are not playing that day, you are sitting on the bench with your mask on. The seats are socially distanced, even though they're playing in the games, you know, together. They're like, but when you sit over here, the message we will send to the entire world is that social distancing still matters if you are not on the court. Um, You know, coaches are wearing masks. If you are a reporter and you're tier one, you have to wear a mask. You're getting tested constantly. DeAndre Ayton was late to a test. He didn't play in the first quarter because he had to wait until the result. And you will not be on this court risking you know, the bubble's very fragile. You can't risk it, you know? And so they set up these rules, they set up a plan and they followed through with it in every way, shape and form. And I think it's incredible to see. I, like you said, I am thankful for it because that means I have a job. We have a sport to cover. (laughs) We have Lakers and trailblazers. I get to watch Dame Lillard go off, you know, (laughs) every single game that he plays in, in the bubble. And it's incredible. But I do think that they're like thought leaders. They have been industry leaders in a lot of ways. They're leading us um, and showing us how to deal with this pandemic in ways that like we never knew were possible. And they're innovative and making it look great. The product still looks great. The games look great. The virtual fans are awesome. Like you still feel completely included in the product. Right. And and like you said, a lot of it is just message based, you know, Mm -hmm. in terms of like the players during 
press conference is still wearing a yeah. mask. I see I'm looking at other sports. They're not, they're not doing that. So the NBA, I think, yeah. is a model. I did an interview with Dave Lillard and he had a mask on, even though he was by himself. I was right. like, the mess, send the message, receive the message. You will wear your mask. <laughs> right. No, incredible. No, the NBA is doing a great job. I think we, we've lost Bill momentarily, uh, hopefully, because of uh, the Wi-Fi connection. So hopefully he'll get that back. Let me ask you this. Also, you, you mentioned mm-hmm. before you're in the studio. What are the protocols that you had, you had to go through and that other studio members had to go through in order to make that happen again? Yeah, I mean, technically, we're kind of like in a bubble, too. I mean, we depend on each other and each other to stay safe. So I had to get two negative tests. So I had a negative test before when I left Georgia. And then when I flew into Connecticut, literally went straight to the hospital, got my test done and knew within four hours that I had another negative test. And I had to have both of those before I could enter into the studio. And so when you're in the studio, I mean, everything is wiped down clean. Everyone's wearing a mask. The only time you're not wearing a mask is if you are sitting on set and the camera's coming on, you know, they have face shields, they have masks. Our guys have gloves if they need them. We can only have two people in the conference room, period. You know, if you're going to be in the conference room, like there is a restriction to every single space that you're in. Um, No, you can't be in the same workspace. You know, there's like three computers in between each person. And so it's, it's interesting to see the lengths that we've gone through too, to make sure that we're all safe, but it's like our new normal, right? It's like the TNT, you can land a jet on their set right now and they have plexiglass in between them. So that's like the way our shows are going to look for a while. I'm back. What's there up, Bill? He is. Yes. <laughs> oh man. Talk about Bush Bush Leaguery. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Um I, I'm sure you covered all this while I was gone. Uh do you do you do you uh is there anything about uh how we're doing our jobs now, Maria, that you like that that you'd like to see um you know stick as we move forward that become part of the quote unquote new normal? I think it kind of levels the playing field for storytelling um, because everyone has access to everyone. If you have a relationship with Kimball Walker, just insert athlete name and you wanted to put them, have an IG live chat, you can do that. And I do like seeing athletes or the subjects of our stories in a very, in a home setting where they're a little bit more relaxed, where things are a little bit more comfortable, where they just watch their favorite show and then they're able to come and hop on and have a conversation. So I do really enjoy that. Like it takes some of the, the glitz and the glamour away from it, the, the formality. Like it kind of breaks down that wall a little bit. And I think that that's great. And that helps people that have great relationships. So I hope that that continues moving forward. Cause I love doing NFL draft conversations with kids for like, literally they're in front of their high school. Cause they're about to go run the track or something like that. And like, let's talk about your high school days and how that compares to being ready to go and be a pro. Um, but there's still things I miss. I mean, I miss being able to go on the road and have a sit down interview. Like you miss that the one-on-one connection you get with people. I'm a person that thrives off of that, like relationships. And I'm kind of just stuck in my New York apartment, just like y'all are, you know, we are probably a hundred blocks away from each other, but you know, you can't see anyone. You got to go straight home and go straight to work because you got to keep the bubble of work preserved, you know? So it's interesting. Let's, let's talk about your career. You know, I mean, now, now you're a superstar and all, but how, (laughs) but how did, how did you get to this point? I mean, obviously you were, you're an athlete in college. Did you was broadcasting something that you always wanted to do? Was it a situation that you just wanted to stay involved in sports? Like, how did you get to where you are? Yeah, 
that was my initial thing. I just wanted to be in sports, but I knew that I didn't want to be a coach one day. So when you, when you're a female athlete, is not about to go make millions of dollars playing in the WNBA or playing overseas. It's like, I'm going to go play overseas and that'll be a great experience. And I had a conversation with my basketball coach. He's like, you can go overseas and that'll be great. But after two years, you're going to be back here and you're going to be looking for a job. You're going to miss your home. You're going to look for your job because I'm very like tied to my family and I wouldn't like being gone for nine months. And so I saw that people would come and broadcast our games. We would have like one volleyball game on at the time. You have maybe three basketball games that would be on TV. Now all of the games are on, which is awesome. But I was like, I could do that. I could go to practices and talk to coaches and talk to players and broadcast. So for me, the pinnacle of sports broadcasting was working the national championship for volleyball and hopefully making it to like the women's final four as a sideline reporter. Like that's all I wanted to do. If you could toss in there, maybe hosting the final four, I would be like, Oh, okay. Like I overachieved. (laughs) So to be able to do some of the things that I'm doing now, like never dreamed it. You know what I mean? Like that wasn't the dream that I had for myself. Mm. What what was the, what was the, was there a breakthrough? I mean, I know we kind of like these, kind of like there's one breakthrough, but um, what what actually opened your eyes in terms of possibilities? Like the ceiling almost was removed. You know, Mm. sometimes you have to really imagine greatness. You have to, you have to imagine greatness, then you have to dare to be great and be Mm. out there. And what what was that process for you? I think a big turning point for me was the launch of the SEC Network. So that was August 14th, um, I think, or 2014, 2014. And I remember I was going to take a pay cut because I was kind of just like a freelance. I worked for ESPN, but I would work for Fox and I would work for whoever called and I would go do volleyball games, women's basketball games. And I was doing like a full slate of ESPN games at the time, but I was not, I didn't have insurance through anyone, like completely freelance. So I just had a game rate. And they called, I auditioned a couple of times and trust me, I sucked on both of my auditions, like was terrible. You would have had to see through it and see some potential in order to be like, okay, she could be a host. And they called me back and asked if I was interested in doing it. And it was, it was long hours. We were covering every single sport. You know, that was the first time I got to host the women's basketball tournament. I was hosting the SEC softball tournament, you know, and we're at live events and you're on a desk and you're by yourself. And that's when I learned, I was like, I can handle a lot. You know, I thought I was just a reporter, but now I see myself as a host that can own a show, that can own a championship, that can interview coaches on a desk, that could toss to this and that, that when things break down, I don't let it break down, you know, because that's what your job has to be as a host. And I think that was a turning point in the way that people at the company viewed me, too. So you go from only being a sideline reporter that specializes in a couple of sports to, well, you know what? She can do a baseball highlight if you need her to, or we, she can talk track and field or swimming and diving or whatever sport, you know, was the focus for SEC. So that was huge for me. And then once I started doing that, I was like, it's all TV. Like, it's all the same. It doesn't matter if it's the Lakers or if it's LSU track. Like you got to come on and be informed and have and entertain. It's the same. It's all the same thing. Yeah. Uh, who was your, we say role model, but uh, particularly for women and particularly for black women, Yeah. Uh, you know, Pam Oliver or others, but, but was there anybody that you could look at the way that I'm sure you have millions of young African-American young women who are looking mm-hmm. at you um, as a, damn, I could do that. What about but when you were searching for role models, who were those people? I mean, for me, it was definitely Robin Roberts. And I mean, by the time I started really 
looking into broadcasting. She was just on GMA, you know, so I don't remember the Robin that was on ESPN as much as I'm familiar with her, just like America's sweetheart, you know, the person that you want to be like, like it was Robin. I mean, honestly, it's Oprah, like a black woman who's on TV every single day. Like you would come home, you watched every episode of Oprah. You talked about it with your mom or your, my grandma loved Oprah. Like that was a thing. And so I think it was like this, that's like your, your black excellence beacon, you know? So I didn't necessarily see it in sports all the time. I knew of Pam Oliver. I just, I wasn't too tied to the NFL. You know what I mean? Like I was very right. into college football being from Georgia and all that stuff. So you didn't see anyone that looked like you, to be honest. Like I saw Lisa Salters and we talked about it too. I was like, you were the only one. Like, how did you? <laughs> and then I was so sad when she left them with the Monday Night Football because I'm like, well, who's going to do it now? Who is the black girl that's going to be on the sideline? You. And then it was me. <laughs> literally, literally. But I had a college football coach tell me, he was like, you need to you have to hold the line. Like you can't leave college football until you know that there is another version of, or there's another black girl ready to step into it. And that's, oh, wow. that's a reality that we kind of face or kind of like the burden that you bear just being in the space. Do you see it as a, as a, uh, as a burden? Um, uh, Cause I was thinking about this too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How do you go about making sure in the next, let's say 10 years from now that people are talking about you kind of it and, uh, you know, I, I grew up. I grew up watching you. Uh, mm -hmm. You are my role model. Blah 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 blah. How do you go about ensuring that there are a ton of Maria Taylors that follow you into the industry? Mm -hmm. I mean, I have a nonprofit that's literally dedicated to helping women and minorities get into the sports industry. Like whether that is, if you wanted to be a director, great at ESPN. If you wanted to be on camera. If you want to be an athletic director like Carla Williams, she's a black woman that's the athletic director at UVA, then I'm trying yeah. to help you get in the business. But I also think it's important to, I mean, when I'm on the sidelines, if I'm at Oregon, I have a young black girl shadowing me because I want her to see what it's like to be a reporter on the sidelines. I want her to go in the truck and meet our producers. I want her to shake hands with you know, Fowler and Kirk Herbstreet or meet David Pollock. And to the credit of my entire college football community, they've been so welcoming. You know what I mean? Like they're used to me having a little black girl with me. So she's going to be in the production meeting. She's going to be at the yeah. show. She's going to stand right next to you. And she's going to see how I get hooked up to audio and stuff like that. And at the end of the day, it's exposure. Like if you don't have that opportunity to be exposed, you're never going to believe you can do it. So I try to do that at every single stop that I make. Yeah, it's kind of like the idea, what you described is, I mean, everybody talks about mentorship, which is mm -hmm. fine, but the real deal is sponsorship. You yeah. know, when you take that young black girl and say, hey, this is, <laughs> they, they meet the people you know. They go in the yeah. meetings that you go into. Uh, mm -hmm. That is almost a power dynamic. Let, let me ask you, you've really become, I had a conversation with a, with a sister a couple of years ago and her white supervisor and the, her frustration was that she couldn't really say anything. In other words, they want mm -hmm. her to be in this box. Mm -hmm. You know, you look good, just read the lines, but right. we don't want you to kind of step out there. And mm -hmm. you really have been freer in that, in that area. You've, you've spoken about issues, I mean, I mean, forcefully, pointedly. Mm -hmm. Is it, <laughs> somebody give you a green light? Or, 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 or was it that as you assumed more celebrity or more whatever it is that allows you to kind of go out there, you just decided to use it? 
Yeah, I think it's it's definitely twofold. So in the same way, if you were a rookie on a team, you don't speak up in the same way as you do when you're a senior captain, you know? And so I recognize the responsibility of if I don't speak up in meetings or if I don't speak up on television, then like the production assistant in Bristol is not going to have the opportunities that they deserve because I didn't say anything, you know? And, and that's the, I have to assume the position. That's the position that I hold now, or that's the level of respect. And then you also get to a point where you're like, you have to, we keep talking about it as black women. It's like, stop being humble. It's like, I'm good at my job. Like, it's almost like, what are you going to do? If you fire me, like people would actually, we would be upset about it at this point. Right. You know what I mean? Like I haven't done anything wrong. I'm going to continue to excel. I'm going to continue to work hard. I'm going to continue to be a good teammate and, make sure that everyone, you know, feels good or I'm adding value at all times. So you can't feel any type of way about my opinion on how the way black people are treated because I'm speaking the facts. You know what I mean? Like it, although it might be uncomfortable for you, that doesn't change my standing at this company or any company that I would work with, you know? And so I do believe that you kind of ascend to that level. You ascend to that level of confidence and you realize Jalen said this. I keep saying the reason why I even said what I said on first take was because of Jalen. He's like my black, the black community needs me more than I need this job. So I'm willing to just risk it all. And I think I even said it in the the talk, like, you know, this is the first time I felt like I can say whatever I want when Mm. I come on camera and I'm not going to feel bad about it. So that's kind of where I am. I'm just like, I'm not holding back. We're just going to speak the truth. Like I said, when people show their colors, we're going to talk about it. We're going to try to talk our way through. We're going to try to come up with solutions. But I'm speaking for the production assistant. I'm speaking for the young girl at home that feels like she can't say anything. And and we'll see where it goes. If not, my mama got a house in Georgia. I can just move in. <laughs> I hear you. They good. <laughs> and, and as you know, I mean, a lot of people are speaking out now ever since uh, George Floyd you know, the NBA, which you're covering, protests, uh, kneeling, you know, names on the jerseys, Black Lives Matter on the court. What's your take on all of that? You know, the WNBA has been mm-hmm. at the forefront for a long time in terms of protest. What's, what's your feeling on the way uh, different leagues are going about it? You know, I got to give my props to the WNBA because they were out here like, um, we're not standing for the national anthem. We have something to say. We're going to be wearing these shooting shirts. I can't breathe. They did it before anyone. Like, and, you know, basically just like leave it to women and or black women. It's like, we'll do it ourselves. Don't worry about it. But they're so used to being dismissed. They're so used to being criticized that they are the first people to throw their hat in. Like that they've been given their own green light just by the way society treats them. And I do love the way it's just shedding light and like forcing the conversation. And I don't do an interview with a player without asking him what his social justice initiative is. Like, I think in some way we can all do our small little part or whatever, or every single show you're going to hear, we're going to, I'm going to give you a quote from a civil rights leader. We are going to show the black lives matter on the court. We're going to have a montage about black lives matter. Like it's something that now it has to be intentional. It's, we're trying to weave it into the fabric of, the NBA culture, you know, and, and trying not to let it go back in any way, shape or form. And I think the players are the reason why we can do that because they haven't let the conversation die down. They are still talking about it. They're still wearing, you know, the shirts or the Donovan Mitchell bulletproof vests. And we, we're saying her name, we're saying Brianna Taylor, we have to, you know, so I, I appreciate the way that they're using their platform because there was a time, remember when athletes were like, I'm just an athlete. I'm not a role model. Like right. don't look up to me. I Rather by the horn, stand on it. Yeah. No, I love where we are right now. Do you do you see real change, you know, coming from all of this? Uh, you know, we were asking this question maybe 
when the protests were going on after George Floyd, now some time has passed. Do you do you mm-hmm. sense that that we're going to see some real change from all of this? You know, from you know, you work at a big corporation. Do you feel like corporations are changing, mm-hmm. uh, society changing fast enough? Definitely not fast enough. You know what I mean? I think that corporation, like my dad worked for the federal government, and he'll tell me horror stories about how he was trying to get promoted and X, Y, Z. And I give him, you know, some of my experiences and he's, there's the trickle down effect. Like, I think that every single corporation is not, none of it is built for black people. If we're being honest, you know, that Jamal bill knows that when he's on, like, it's not built for us. And right. so we're constantly having to force our way in and knock down walls and bring someone else with us. And it's definitely not going to happen fast enough because it should have happened 20 years ago. But I do think awareness is the first step, and that's where we are. Now everyone's aware. The question is, who's going to change it? And I guarantee you what it's not going to be, it's not going to be Maria and Jamal. It's going to be our white bosses. It's going to be the board of directors. It's going to be the ones that are in the room that can decide whether or not someone gets promoted based on how many direct reports that are people of color. You know what I mean? When you start tying your money into it, when you start tying the success of the company to diversity and inclusion, then we might start moving somewhere. But hey, listen, progress moves slow. I'm sure there's right. some great, great quote about that. And it's frustrating. <laughs> and we're going to continue to live through it, you know. And at some point, we're going to be like, all right, I'm done. I'm cool on it. You know what I mean? And like, try to do something else. Like, I think about that sometimes. Sometimes I'm like, maybe I should just go teach. Like, maybe this is, this is just like, this is enough for me or this is it. And then you, you see something that is disturbing and you don't want to be in the industry or you wonder if corporate America will ever just accept you as you are. And I mean, only time will tell. Right. No question. Um, before we let you go, you mentioned, you know, your nonprofit uh, Winning Edge Leadership Academy, but mm-hmm. also you've joined forces with, with LeBron James's More Than a Vote initiative. What made you want to do that as, as uh, being part of the process, voting? Has that always been, a, a, you know, an important part for you? Yeah, I think I saw, um, you know, I went, I voted with my mom in Georgia in our primary. And you should have seen, you know, the news that night of people who waited outside for 12 hours to put in their vote or people who um, the volunteers that were working in all of these precincts maybe weren't sure how to handle the vote or, you know, they were older in age and there were so many issues with the voting process that and it seemed like it really only happened in you know the city of Atlanta in the minority communities and it was upsetting to me and so for the first time I think I was confronted with this like okay I can see how voter suppression happens or I can see how the same resources that me and my mom experienced when I went up to the suburbs and voted are not where my brother and my aunt and my niece and nephew live in the city of Atlanta And so what LeBron is doing is coming in and shedding light on some of those discrepancies and making sure that everyone has an opportunity to vote, that there's an equal playing field and, you know, opening up Phillips Arena in Atlanta for voters to be able to come in because now look at all the space we have. And, you know, I want to go and volunteer. Like, I don't want to work on election day. Like, I want to be in there working and making sure that that is moving smoothly for my community in downtown Atlanta. I want to be at Phillips Arena, like, opening the door. Like, this is going to be a good experience for you. It's going to be a good experience for me. And just make sure that everyone really does believe their vote matters because it's important. We all saw Michelle Obama glow, 
you know, we need to be out here supporting her with our vote. <laughs> no question about it. Bill and I have talked about this for, for years, really, about something like this, like where, mm-hmm. you know, the influential athletes that everybody looks up to get involved in, you know, trying to get out the vote. And I guess the times are so real right now that, mm-hmm. that everything came to a head. But is this something that you feel will resonate with voting age, younger mm-hmm. people, um, that they'll see these NBA stars, LeBron, everybody else, and, and be mm-hmm. influenced by them? I do, because I think every bit of it counts. And I do think that LeBron's reach is multicultural. You know what I mean? I think that he reaches out to the Latino community. You know, the Lakers fans love him. You know what I mean? So the Black community, obviously, he is Black. But it's also like the mom at home that's been watching LeBron play for the last 17 years who, like, if my mom knows his name and, like, your mom knows his name, like, and everyone knows who LeBron James is. So when he speaks on something, it matters. And Sports is unique in that way, that it can tear down a lot of different walls and it can bring people from a lot of different, you know, walks of life together. And so now that he's using that voice, too, to be like, but let me tell you what the issues are with voting or let me tell you why your vote matters or young people, I need y'all to rise up and show up, you know, then that's all going to matter. So I, I think it's really important. Let's hope so. Uh, Maria, <laughs> thank you so much uh, for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us. I'm a huge admirer of yours. Uh, you do a, you know, a tremendous job, whatever you're doing, whether it's sideline reporting or in the studio. Uh, so keep up the good work. We're, we're definitely watching you on a NBA countdown coming up. I know those, those must be long days. Long day. We've got a quadruple header. <laughs> like every time we're on the show, we're like, why we always got the quadruple headers? Oh, man. <laughs> we're there from one to about 1030. So maybe it's a normal work week. It's just a strange time. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it seems like a lot. But of course, you're handling it with grace. So thanks again for joining us. And um, hopefully you will join us again soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Jamal. Thanks, Bill. I appreciate you guys. <laughs> Continue to have great Bill's shows. around here somewhere in the, in the yeah. Wi-Fi universe. <laughs> All right. Peace be with you, Bill. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Maria. Thanks, Jamal. See you soon. All right. Thanks. Wow, man. Great interview with Maria Taylor. Man, she, like you said, she is a, a superstar and yeah. a superstar in my speaking of mind. So that really, uh, really, really great. Really great. Great get, Nerf. <laughs> no problem in the, in this uh covid 19 age with uh zooms and wi-fi connections you know it's uh it's tough to make it all go smoothly all the time but oh man i've, I've just been tearing out well i don't have a lot of hair to tear out but <laughs> just dropping off my battery flow. i mean just right the, the pitfalls are endless anyway what else uh lakers uh lose to uh portland uh yeah Great news. Uh, that was about, I mean, they've still got, by the time we get back on next week, do you think that Portland will be up in the series or do you think this is a blip? Hmm. Hmm. I think, I still think, the, obviously, the Lakers are the better team, even though they really only have two guys, both LeBron and A. I think Anthony Davis has to, you know, he has to be on his A game every game. They're going to need, like, close to 40 points from him a game because the rest of their supporting cast Portland just has a better, has more overall talent after that. Yeah, I mean, and, and Anthony Davis, man, I mean, I don't know, man. I mean, look at this guy. I don't know. I mean, is he, is he like, I, I, I'm sure they're all motivated. And some mm. people say you can't blame him. You got to blame the supporting cast. There is no supporting cast. I right, mean, and, and they knew they did have a, They have a great record, I guess. I mean, they had, 
they right. had the best record in the West, so right. They well, had to. But like you said, like like everyone, you know, that, that was that was the regular season. Now it's a you know playoffs all are totally different. Everybody, everybody's coming to play, like the, like their lives the lives dependent on it. The one thing yeah. that I was I was thinking about because I I was actually rooting for you know I'm actually I was actually rooting for Portland, um, but then I started think maybe I, you know if 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 the Lakers and LeBron loses like are we is that gonna diminish LeBron's message in, you know from from the bubble so it's almost like I don't want to lose LeBron because I don't want to lose that voice. Well, but now then he'll be free to to operate on the outside. True. You know he could you know I mean he could. Once he's free, he can be doing commercials or, you That's know, voted, voted, you know, helping to get out the vote. Yeah, he can dedicate uh, more time to that. Yeah, no question. Yeah, rather than being in the damn bubble. I mean, <laughs> All yeah, right, so, so I'll keep rooting for Portland. I'll be in a bubble. I mean, what? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm rooting for a lot of different different reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, it'd be, it'd be great. You know, this is a long – then they got to play what? Then they got to play – what, then they play the conference finals? No, so then they would, this is the first round, so the second, they'd have to play probably Houston in the second round, and then the, the conference finals, probably the Clippers down the line. Whoever keeps winning is going to be in there for a long time. I think the finals are slated for mid-October. Ah, uh, man, that, i got to tell you, Jamal, that's just too long, man. <laughs> it really is. I mean, Can you it's imagine? fine, it's novel. You know, you imagine the, NCAA tournament in one spot for like five months. Right, true. Or three months. That's a right. long. Now, and I'm sure the NCAA, because uh, as Krzyzewski was saying, we cannot have another, we have to have a tournament. They got to have right. a tournament. They have to. They have to. So All they that money. The that's, that's, yeah. I heard, that's, I've heard some, some uh, discussions about what college basketball is, is thinking about where they have multiple conference bubbles and then they do an NCAA tournament, like maybe in Indianapolis in a bubble. Instead of having the different sites, they just bring everybody to Indianapolis, put them in their hotel rooms, test them all the time, and play, the, play all the games in Indianapolis, uh, which, yeah. which is better than, you know, like that's only three weeks compared to what, three months for the pros. Well, I guess when you talk about the whole season, it's, it's much longer. If, you have, if, they're, if they're in it's conference a long time. I, mean, I don't know, how do you do, uh, you know, Big East tournament. Do, I mean, do you do away with tournaments? The idea of bringing that, the, 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 bu- the bubble thing seems to be the only thing that works. Right. That's the only you responsible know. thing. Or yeah, half, half there, responsible. Don't leave half responsible. Well, <laughs> ultimately, it's all about money. It's all right. being driven by. Right. And that's why, that's why they, they have to have a tournament again, because they just lost out on $900 million by not having the last NCAA tournament. They can't do that two years in a row. They can't, they can't lose, you know, almost $2 billion. <laughs> yeah. I was looking at some of the sports business journal uh, and the numbers, I don't know if I could call it really quickly, uh, but the numbers were, were ridiculous. Uh, how much money conferences made? I mean, in, in 2019, 20, it was either 2018, 2019, but the amount of money, I'm trying to look it up, it was ridiculous. And, and I guess that's what this whole thing has, it's, 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 it's showed us so clearly that this is just all about money. I mean, yeah. I, I should say all about money, but it is. primarily it's all about, about it's all, if they, if they were only going to make a couple hundred dollars from this stuff, it would not be, 
it would be shut right. down right away. They would be making these brothers, you know, oh, here we go, because they want to play football so badly. Texas uh, has just signed a company called Germ Logic mm. to an expanded deal that will include treatment of playing surfaces and all fan areas. The Longhorns official germ control provider <laughs> fills an important category for a company that has typically stayed behind the scene. I mean, yeah, you know, un- I mean, has, has that you know has that been been tested or vetted? Like, do we know that would even work? You know, so no. it's all it's ridiculous. The Power Five schools generated close to eight point three billion dollars in combined athletic revenue in 2018-2019, according to to uh, Sports Business Journal research. Wow. He analyzed school conferences uh, to come up with some eye-popping numbers for this week's mag. I mean, so the number of schools that top $200 million in revenue, Texas, Texas A&M, Ohio State. Uh, schools in the SEC in top 10 in revenue, A&M, Georgia, Alabama, Florida, LSU, compared to the Big Ten. Three. So, you know, 781 $1.5 billion Jeez. Big Ten revenue, the most of any conference. So, I mean, I guess it goes on and on and on. But before the, the pandemic, that's like Katrina pulled the curtain over inequities in, in right. society. I mean, that was the first real time right. when after Katrina, uh, now COVID, of course, a uh, large scale, but also this whole myth of amateurism why they use these guys, these amateurs, to make billions of dollars to support salaries, to support non-revenue sport. And the idea is that black people are not even nowhere nearly represented in, 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 in the corridors of power and control right. in these things. They're basically used, and that's so, it's so um, poignant that that's what we were brought here for in the first place, 400 years ago, to make white people rich. And that's what we're doing now, was NFL, NBA, NCAA, you know, college, big-time college football, making white people wealthy, you know. Yeah, can't say any better so, than that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah we, we, don't, we don't, like you said, we're not represented and we don't benefit uh, from all that money. You had, I saw the... Not, uh, not, not the communities don't. Yeah, don't nothing. benefit. You know, individuals benefit. Yeah, a couple, you know, just a couple, a couple, yeah. in, like you know, some drops and drops in the bucket. Uh, right. Uh, benefit. I saw the you know all that money they make. I saw the mayor of Alabama was on TV the other day, and he said they asked him about college football, and he said, "Oh, we," he said, "Oh, we gotta have it. We gotta have yeah. it." You know, they bring, in, he, they bring in two hundred million dollars just to just to Tuscaloosa. Right. The mayor, yeah, the mayor of Tuscaloosa, not the mayor of Alabama, <laughs> but the the mayor of Tuscaloosa was on saying that um, got to have college college football. Um, they bring two hundred million dollars just you know to the city alone every every year. You know, I mean, yeah. So I mean, I don't know what else you could say, except uh, what about after this? We see that amateurism has been um, exposed as a fraud. I mean, it always has been, but now it's just you can't you can't miss it. Do you think anything? changes in terms of player compensation based on all of this maybe but you know the, the problem is unlike the nfl nba pro sports there's no union i think that some kind of way some attorneys group or something has to do some type of class action 
I don't know if it'd be a class action suit, but class action representation, you know, to represent athletes in power five conferences or something. But I mean, I, I answer something. This is just so ridiculous that I, I think just like with George Floyd being killed so openly, a lot of white people didn't believe it. Right. And now it's so blatant. So maybe the same thing happens with it's so such blatant exploitation that maybe there's a move. Okay, the guy's got it. I don't know what you give him. Maybe insurance policy. Maybe you put money in a trust fund. You know, so that when their four years of eligibility are up, they get some trust fund money. Something right. like that. You know? I mean, we do know the NCAA will give them as little as possible. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Because they got it. Yeah. Of course. You but know. that's why you need representation. Right. Pretty ridiculous. So what else? Uh, the uh, the Washington football team, Daniel Snyder just hired Jason Wright, first black president of an NFL team. Uh, he played seven played seven years in the league as a as a running back. Wow, that's that's something a running back survives to be able to Seriously. Well, but he's ahead of business operations, not football operations. If if you look at it. he's team president. On of business operations. Okay, so no. Uh, and 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 then the fact that he's the first black team president. I mean, in 2020. Right, and then in the entire NFL. How the fuck do you, you know? Although you look at the NBA, you know the NBA has been getting the pass because right. the NBA, I think, only has what two team presidents, black team presidents. If if that. If that. So that's you know all these leagues, man. They're. Black Lives Matter, y'all can kneel, y'all can put all kinds of messages on your gym shoes, you know, on your uniform. So what? The power and control rests with white people. Right. How you seize that, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you know? the Snyder thing is, is uh, funny. I mean, he's, he, and now he has a black president of the team. He has a Latino coach and he, and he just hired a woman broadcaster. To me, it's kind of akin to, uh, James Dolan, another problematic figure, but he, but despite being problematic, he had a black GM, black coach, black president of the Knicks. Yeah, yeah, and he uh, he had it a couple times, you know. Then the black folks there couldn't deal with it, you know, mm -hmm. fighting like wolves. Snyder, I don't, I, don't, I mean, what is? I, I'm happy for the brother. That's great, right? But the fact that the first black team president in a league where 60 to 70% of players have been black for a long time. It just didn't start. Right, right. Yeah, so we'll see. We'll see we'll see what what's in what's in store in the future for for the Washington football team and the NFL. NFL, I guess he's cast going to by hook or crook. They're oh, going to yeah. say we're going to play football. Oh yeah. I mean there was a report today saying that um league exec executives are very confident they can get a full season and I bet they are. Yeah. Yeah, they don't have to play. Right. So, so that just shows you, if, you know, if there's a big cluster, uh, you know, just like the uh, Major League Baseball, they're not going to be deterred by, by a few people getting it. They have, that has to be already baked in to the plan. Right. Yeah, they've already said we're going to lose some. You right. know. Like, wow. Yeah. So. All right, man. Well, listen, it's been great. Maria Taylor was great. Um, great conversation. She is a, a buddy, I mean, not a buddy superstar, she's a superstar in the field. Right. Uh, who's, you know, speaks, you know, speaks up. Right. And uh, is trying to get more young 
you know, young women and young African-American women to follow. So that's great stuff. Yeah, that's great. The, the work she's doing with her, with her nonprofit, Winning Edge Leadership Academy. Kind of, yeah, kind of reminiscent of the Roden Fellows a little bit. A little bit, yeah, 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 but it's good. I mean, I think that as you bring people, I and mean, if you really want to bring people in, there has to be some kind of organ. It has to be systematic. Right. All right, Murph, listen, man, I know you got a lot of stuff to do. <laughs> Places yeah. to go, errands to run. <laughs> no, yeah. no doubt about it. No doubt about it, as you do, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, man. Well, listen. Always, uh, always great, and we will team up next week. Yep, next week. Meanwhile, everybody, oh, oh, what, what's your what's your commercial spiel? You got to say co- the commercial spiel yeah. is make sure that you uh, check us out on Apple Podcast and rate and review the show. Give us a good review. Give us a good rating. Ask a question in the review, and we'll answer it on the next podcast. Do we get any of those? By the way. We get reviews. We haven't gotten too many questions. Okay. Ask questions, people. All right, man. Well, listen, Murph. See you next week. Everybody, uh, take care. Continue to be safe. Pray for a change in the White House. Uh, register to vote. You know, if there's any, you know, make sure people are registered to vote, then make sure that they vote. Right. Uh, and stay safe. God bless. Take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.